Chapter Twenty Five of The Mentor Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The Mentor Two by Various. Chapter Twenty Five The Makers of American Fiction by Arthur B. Maurice. Part One september first nineteen eighteen serial number one sixty two the mentor makers of modern american fiction men by arthur b maurice department of literature volume six number fourteen fiction there is a popular notion that anyone can write a story a good novel is easy reading and it seems on that account to be easy writing many a reader in the comfortable enjoyment of good fiction misses the genius of it altogether he is like the sceptical young man who could see nothing difficult in the art of sculpture all you need to do he said is to get a block of marble then take a hammer and chisel and knock off the parts you don't want so stated sculpture does seem very simple but after all there is some importance in knowing what parts of the marble to knock off many of us feel at times an inward stir that prompts us to express ourselves in the written word we are quite sure that we could write a novel or a play that we don't do so is simply because we are so busy or something else i could write plays as well as shakespeare if i'd a mind to said someone years ago to charles lamb yes answered the gentle humorist anyone could write plays as well as shakespeare if he had the mind to some take their pen in hand to prove themselves how easy it all is when they have tried out several of the productions that they have dashed off so readily they sometimes discover that what was easy writing for them was hard reading for others and the wise ones then come to realize that the good fiction that makes such easy reading is often the finished and refined product of double and redoubled labor for those that are determined to win their way in fiction the means for study and observation are ample there are many books on the art of writing to inform and guide the aspiring author and there is a wealth of fiction literature ever at hand to supply him with examples of good story writing in a helpful informing book on the technique of fiction professor charles f horn makes clear the essential elements of the novel which he finds to be six in number one plot two motive or verisimilitude truth to life three character portrayal four emotional quality sentiment passion five background six style a novel professor horn writes cannot consist simply of a fixed picture a description of a man in repose it must show him acting and acted upon in other words it deals with man in his relationship to his environment hence it must have two essentials the man and his movements that is the characters and the story 
the causes and effects of these two essentials give us two more the man can only move as he is swayed internally by his emotions and the movement can only be seen externally in its effect on his surroundings his background these four form the positive elements or content of the novel and they must be presented under the limitation set by man's experience of life or verisimilitude and by his modes of conveying ideas his style of speech one booth tarkington towards the end of the last century booth tarkington wrote the gentleman from indiana it is as the gentleman from indiana that mr tarkington has been widely known ever since there was a time some fifteen or twenty years ago when every native hoosier was supposed to have the manuscript of a best-selling novel concealed somewhere about his person some of the authors died and some of them went into other occupations and the state has managed to live the belief down but mr tarkington remains the most conspicuous living figure linking indiana with letters born in indianapolis on july twenty ninth eighteen sixty nine he studied at phillips exeter and later at princeton in both places he was recognized as one likely to go far princeton he entered as a junior but made the editorial boards of both college publications the tiger and the lit his sketches for the former being rather better than his literary contributions to the latter he wrote the play for the triangle club and at graduation was voted the most popular and promising man in the class of eighteen ninety three there followed however lean years when the prophecies seemed unlikely of fulfilment that was a period when like the john harkless of his own story the gentleman from indiana he was figuratively sitting on a rail fence in indiana always a hard worker he toiled unremittingly at invention and rewriting only to have the manuscripts that he submitted with bright hopes come back to him with disheartening regularity that was the story of the five or six years after eighteen ninety three his first tale to be sold was cherry a whimsical romance of the country about princeton and undergraduate life at the college of new jersey in pre-revolutionary days accepted by harpers it was not published until long after then suddenly success came almost simultaneously the gentleman from indiana and monsieur beaucaire appeared the first a full-length novel of midwestern life the second a charming little romance of eighteenth-century manners at bath when beau nash reigned and a prince of the blood came over from france in the guise of a barber in the french minister's train the recognition won with those two books has widened with the years after the gentleman and beaucaire came the two van revels the germ of which had been a short tale of two thousand words written in the author's undergraduate days as a result of a brief fling at political life mr tarkington wrote the stories collected under the title in the arena that was followed by the conquest of cannon the story of a discredited boy who leaves his native town under a shadow and returns to win its reluctant admiration the years spent about that time in europe 
suggested the guest of quesnay and two shorter stories with scenes laid in italy the beautiful lady and mine own people the chief distinction of the flirt in which the author returned to the indiana setting of the earlier books was the picture of the heroine's impish brother hedrick madison the turmoil dealing with the evolution of one of the great midwestern cities showed mr tarkington in the full maturity of his power after that book he struck a new and rich vein in his sketches delineating boy life the stories dealing with penrod schofield and william sylvanus baxter having found a response in every corner of the land mr tarkington has also to his credit considerable achievement as a playwright the man from home written in collaboration with harry leon wilson was one of the most successful plays of the american stage of recent years other plays from his pen are cameo kirby springtime mr antonio the country cousin and seventeen calling indianapolis his home town mr tarkington spends much of his time at kennebunkport maine and usually passes a month or two every year in princeton new jersey two robert w chambers what impresses one most about mr robert w chambers is his amazing versatility in addition to being a popular novelist he is an expert on rare rugs an artist and so well qualified a judge of fine art that he can talk intelligently to the curators and directors of museums about the old masters on exhibition there equipped with an understanding of chinese and japanese antiques so that he can detect forgeries in that art an authority on medieval armor a lover of outdoors of horses dogs and an ardent collector of butterflies and in addition a thorough man of the world who knows paris and petrograd and many of the out-of-way corners of the earth these are the qualities that come to mind readily but the list is far from complete the longer one knows mr chambers the more varied the knowledge he finds in him out of such rich mental resources mr chambers draws his material for fiction he writes two novels a year for a large public that eagerly devours them mr chambers life is a full and active one he was born in brooklyn new york on may twenty sixth eighteen sixty five and in his youth he aspired to be a painter he studied art in paris at julian's studio from eighteen eighty six to eighteen ninety three then returned to new york and for a while contributed illustrations to the current publications then one day a novel in the quarter appeared with his name as author from that time on his life was given largely to writing fiction and the record of the years has been a brilliant one in eighteen ninety three he published the haunting uncanny but fascinating the king in yellow a collection of stories of art life he turned to france first as a background for romance at irregular intervals from eighteen ninety four to nineteen hundred three appeared the red republic lorraine ashes of empire and maids of paradise they all had the france-prussian war as their setting and dashing young americans as their heroes then in nineteen hundred one with cardigan and other books 
he gave expression in fiction to the spirit of the american revolution it has not been simply as an historical or a semi-historical novelist however that mr chambers has made his widest appeal in the foibles extravagances superficialities and eccentricities of contemporary american society he has found his richest vein it does not matter whether the background of a particular tale be new york or washington or palm beach the underlying social and ethical problems are of real importance marriage the giving or selling in marriage the reasons of heredity that make for or against a certain marriage these are fundamentals common to all humanity in the younger set and the firing line hero and heroine have unwisely married and the story hinges largely on problems raised subsequently by divorce in the fighting chance nineteen hundred six and the danger mark nineteen hundred nine the problem is that of unfitness to marry in the former it is the man who inherits a craving for alcohol and the woman for sentimental philandering in the latter the woman is given to intemperance and the man to excessive gallantry in one of his later books the hidden children mr chambers returns to a favorite setting of the earlier years upper new york of the colonial period on a basis of solid fact it would seem impossible for one man to do all this work where does he ever find time to do it the answer lies in the fact that mr chambers keeps regular hours office hours almost for his writing all of which is done in longhand at that he is not a rapid writer frequent revision is essential and a passion for the verification of details consumes much time yet the bulk and excellence of the accomplished performance remains an established fact and in many ways it is little less than marvellous three richard harding davis in eighteen ninety there appeared in scribner's magazine a short story entitled gallagher it gave an account of a smart young office boy employed on one of the newspapers who succeeded in beating the town by bringing home a big sporting story to his paper it was held at once as one of the best newspaper tales ever printed when the name of the author richard harding davis was mentioned the reading public recognized him as the son of rebecca harding davis a fiction writer of established reputation davis's fifty-two years of life were full of color and manly achievement he was a novelist short story writer war correspondent editor and playwright he began as newspaper reporter a pursuit most natural for his father l clark davis was a brilliant journalist and editor richard harding davis was born in philadelphia in eighteen sixty four and attended the episcopal academy and afterwards lehigh and john hopkins universities in his college days he was weak in mathematics but strong in all that made life full joyous and vital he entered eagerly into sports and wrote stories for the lehigh magazines in eighteen eighty seven he began newspaper work on the philadelphia record also occasionally contributing to the press and other philadelphia papers his first big assignment was in connection with the johnstown flood in eighteen eighty nine 
it was in the press office that davis discovered the original gallagher the office boy who was immortalized in davis's famous story just as the mongrel dog was vindicated in davis's later story the bar sinister in eighteen eighty nine he made a trip to london as correspondent to the philadelphia telegraph and while there wrote of the whitechapel murders in a way that attracted attention he got his first job in new york in this way in london he came to know arthur brisbane who was then english correspondent of the new york sun and afterward editor of the evening sun on his return to america he sought a newspaper job in new york and brisbane took him on the evening sun his first experience was strikingly characteristic a bunco man accosted him near the ferry davis gave him some marked money then had him arrested and walked him boldly into the evening sun office showed him up for the crook he was and then wrote him up in the form of a news story for the paper aside from his regular assignments as a reporter davis busied himself with pictures of various types of new york life among these the most famous were the van bibber stories in which davis presented types of new york society in eighteen ninety one davis went to harper's weekly and remained there for three years as a managing editor then he became a freelance it was not necessary for him to hold down a job all magazines and book publishers were eager for his work his first engagement as war correspondent was on the battlefields of the greco-turkish war he was a prominent figure among newspaper correspondents in all the great wars that followed he made a genuine sensation by his war letters written from cuba during the spanish-american war of eighteen ninety eight in that war davis formed a friendship with theodore roosevelt that remained firm through life in eighteen ninety eight with the publication of soldiers of fortune in scribner's magazine the reputation of davis as a novelist became established and thereafter the fiction that flowed from his pen found an eager and growing audience his extensive travels enabled him to set his stories in widely varied scenes soldiers of fortune told of revolution and political intrigue in a south american republic that also was the vein and atmosphere of captain macklin and later of the white mice in the exiles he invaded morocco for his background and characters later in the king's jackal he laid his scenes in tangier ranson's folly is a story of american army life afterwards dramatized as was soldiers of fortune princess aileen is a romantic story of the grostock kind besides fiction davis wrote many books of adventure and travel impression such as rulers of the mediterranean three gringos in venezuela the west from a car window a year from a reporter's notebook the congo and coasts of africa his later books based on war correspondence include with the french somewhere in france and with the allies we have named scarcely half the titles of davis's work he was busy always with his pen and as one of his fellow craftsmen in literature observed he never penned a dull line in all his stories he left a record of his sturdy americanism and his passionate devotion to a just cause wherever he found it he died suddenly of heart disease on april twelfth nineteen sixteen 
the loss to literature was great and was keenly felt in a history-making time like this that demands an eloquent chronicler davis will always be remembered as one of the most buoyant brave heroic and industrious workers in the field of american literature a man who saw life fully and clearly and who reflected it truly in healthy ringing inspiring tones four jack london jack london's stories were written largely out of his own life if they were not actual experiences cast in fiction form they were narratives spun out of the fibre of his own experiences life was never certain for london he was always on the go and his life was an ever vigorous vital present with the future undetermined and unguessed he was born in san francisco on january twelfth eighteen seventy six when he was eleven years old he left his ranch in the livermore valley and set out to satisfy his longing for a knowledge of the world and an expression of himself he first went to oakland where in the public library he came under the romantic influence of such fiction writers as washington irving Ouida, and others out of irving's alhambra he built castles in the air for himself and launched upon a great literary career with a strong undercurrent of romance and an irresistible longing for adventure he left home and joined the oyster pirates in san francisco bay then tiring of the excitement of piracy he turned with equal enthusiasm to the prosecution of it by joining the fish patrol and was entrusted with the arrest of some who were his former comrades thrilling accounts of this life appeared under the title of tales of a fish patrol in them is a wild buccaneer's spirit and the savour of the sea those of us that read the sea wolf can find there a passionate expression of the author's own experiences before the mast while seal hunting in bering sea or along the coast of japan it is full of strong appealing character and strange sea lore the same wild breath of adventure is to be found in the mutiny of the elsinore in which london describes thrilling experiences in a trip around the horn london was a worker and laboured hard among the rougher elements of life with longshoremen and shovellers in san francisco in factories and on the decks of coastwise vessels he was as good a tramp too as he was a labouring man he walked the continent over from ocean to ocean gathering the materials for a vast understanding of the common man out of these experiences came the road which is an appealing record of sympathy with the vagrant poor and an absorbing narrative of adventurous journeying london tried schooling at different times in his early life working between hours to pay for his education after several months of stern hard application in which he covered about three years preparatory work he entered the university of california the strain however of work and study combined was too much for him and after three months he had to give up turning to things quite different and with the desperate hope that he might find fresh inspiration in a new kind of life he set off for the widely advertised klondike to seek for gold in the klondike nobody talks everybody thinks you get your true perspective i got mine he says 
after a year of hard toil in the north london returned home and assumed the burden of supporting his family his father having died while he was away he wrote story upon story and finally gained acceptance and success as book after book came out the public grew to know and recognize jack london as one of the strongest figures in american fiction he passed away on november twenty second nineteen sixteen in the full swing of his intellectual vigor and it will be long before his splendid achievement is forgotten or the last of his books is consigned to the high shelves that spell oblivion no matter how sparing one may be in the use of the word genius for him it could be claimed his name is one of the few among those of the writing men of our time with which the magic word is without hesitation to be linked there was genius in his invention in his imagery in his nervous style to him was given to know the moods of arctic wastes and california valleys the struggles of his own soul and mind and body he dissected and portrayed in martin eden nineteen hundred nine and john barleycorn nineteen thirteen he was practically the only american writer to invade magnificently the prize ring as a field for romantic narrative its seamy side its sordid corruption its driftage as well as its brutal heroism are reflected in such tales as the game the abysmal brute the shadow and the flash and the mexican the call of the wild nineteen hundred three challenges the very best dog stories of all time the sea wolf nineteen hundred four is an epic of salt brine and creaking rigging and man's inhumanity to man and the blond masters of the world there followed burning daylight nineteen ten and the valley of the moon nineteen thirteen and the mutiny of the elsinore nineteen fourteen which is the sea wolf in a lower key and the strength of the strong nineteen fourteen and a dozen more whatever the field there was a sureness of touch and a power of graphic description that made the man always a figure and a force five rex beach it was in alaska the field of the forerunner the kipling poem that was for so many years lost and entirely forgotten by its author the field of robert w service's songs of a sourdough the field of so many of the tales of jack london and stuart edward white that rex beach first found literary expression he did not set out in life to be a literary man he was a husky youth full of vitality and even in his teens a giant in strength he was born in atwood michigan september first eighteen seventy seven and he left his native place for the city of chicago when he was eighteen years of age he meant to study law but as he said he had no money therefore had to find a place to eat in those days the athletic associations of several of the large cities maintained football teams of giant gladiators to entertain the multitude 
young beach had seen just one game of football but when he presented himself his physical architecture was so imposing that he was engaged without hesitation as tackle by the athletic association football manager the college teams used to play an annual series with these huge professionals later they gave it up because the truck horse professionals hired by the athletic associations could not be hurt by anything short of an axe while the college players as beach said were apt to tear under the wing beach played through the season taking part in the games by which his team won the championship of america then being desirous of eating regularly he attached himself to the athletic association's swimming team and broke an indoor record at water polo that was in eighteen ninety seven when the klondike excitement broke out he stampeded with the rest it was the spirit of adventure and no thought of finding material for fiction that took him to the yukon with two partners from chicago beach was dumped off the boat at rampart on the yukon one rainy night the three hadn't a dollar amongst them but they had plenty of goods then things began to happen we prepared to become exorbitantly rich in the words of beach but it was a bad winter there were fifteen hundred roughnecks in town very little food and plenty of scurvy i soon found that my strength was my legs i could stampede with anybody so i stampeded faithfully whenever i heard of a gold strike all that winter he became dissatisfied with his two chicago partners because they preferred to sit around the cabin cooking tasty messes to tearing through blizzards at the tail of a dog team they wanted to wait for their million dollars until spring but beach wanted his by christmas at the latest and so he set off and quickly fell under the spell of the yukon the glare of the white arctic night the toil of the long trail the complicated struggle for existence the reversion to primitive passions inevitable in a new civilization in process of formation made an imperative call to him and held him fascinated the life about him moved him to write and before long he was embarked on a literary career partners his first story appeared in nineteen hundred four and this was followed by the novel that gave him reputation the spoilers which appeared in nineteen hundred six then came the barrier in nineteen hundred seven and the silver horde in nineteen hundred nine they are all virile stories of alaskan life that have stirred many thousands of readers some have gone into dramatic form the barrier having attained a new and distinguished success as a film picture in the ne'er-do-well and in the net beach sought southern scenes the former novel having panama as its background and the net new orleans during the mafia days the auction block published in nineteen fourteen deals with the favorite activities of modern metropolitan life and the sale of young girls into the marriage tie mr beach was christened rex e beach and he retained the middle initial for some time but when correspondents who had read his book sent letters to him in which they addressed him as rev e beach he dropped the middle initial he lives in new york city and has a summer residence at landing lake hopatcong six stuart edward white 
readers often link the name of jack london and stuart edward white the men were of the same literary stature though different from each other in almost every respect both found inspiration in the same theme the struggle of man with primeval forces in their technique we find the difference there is a sharp contrast between the fire of jack london and the held-in strength of stuart edward white white was once asked if it was not possible to lay hold of the heart and imagination of the public through a novel which had no human love interest in it whether man matched against nature was not after all the eternal drama white considered for a moment and then said in the main that is correct only i should say that the one great drama is that of the individual man's struggles toward perfect adjustment with his environment according as he comes into correspondence and harmony with his environment by that much does he succeed that is what an environment is for it may be financial natural sexual political and so on the sex element is important of course very important but it is not the only element by any means nor is it necessarily an element that exercises an instant influence on the great drama any one who so depicts it is violating the truth other elements of the great drama are as important self-preservation for example is a very simple and even more important instinct than that of the propagation of the race properly presented these other elements being essentially vital are of as much interest to the great public as a relation of the sexes these words express clearly the trend of stuart edward white's work from the beginning mr white's career has been one of prompt recognition and well-ordered prosperity he was born at grand rapids michigan on march twelfth eighteen seventy three he attended no school until he was sixteen years of age and yet far from being behind his schoolmates he entered the high school in the junior class with boys of his own age and graduated at eighteen president of his class he excelled in athletics and held the long-distance running record of his school he graduated a few years later from the university of michigan and then spent two years in the columbia law school new york with private tutors and then amidst the best university surroundings stuart edward white's education was obtained under advantageous auspices he read and travelled a great deal and had time to indulge his love of outdoor life his first production was a story entitled a man and his dog and under the advice of professor brander matthews of columbia he offered it for publication it was bought by short stories for fifteen dollars this was mr white's first income from literary work then after a trip to the hudson bay country he wrote a story entitled the claim jumpers which was published in nineteen hundred one and met with an encouraging reception the westerners which was finished later was bought for serial publication for about five hundred dollars this was a distinct advance in his literary affairs and when the blazed trail was published in nineteen hundred two mr white came truly into his own the blazed trail was written in a lumber camp in the depth of a western winter and it was composed during the early hours from four a m till eight before he put on his snowshoes for a day's lumbering the conjurer's house came out in nineteen hundred three 
and in that same year the forest which mr white regards as one of the most instructive books he has written it is the story of a canoe trip the immediate success of the forest led to the writing of the mountains which told the adventures of a camping trip in the sierras then the mystery camp and trail the river man the rules of the game the call of the north the rediscovered country the adventures of bobby ord the gray dawn the leopard woman and other books followed in all his books he told the vigorous story of life in its primitive forms gold is a picture of the madness of forty-nine the dawn is a story of california the leopard woman a romance of the african wilds in his later books africa became to mr white a very real and commanding subject and one that still holds him in its lure mr white produces his books fast and in highly finished form he is essentially a realist human achievement with all its vital interest and meaning laid hold early on his imagination and gave to his stories their all-pervading sense of truth to life as a critic has said one puts down a book by him with the feeling of having read through experiences dramatic and full of romance yet never breaking the bounds of probability and that is fine art mr white's home is in santa barbara california and his field of active experience includes a substantial part of the whole surface of the earth mr white entered the u s service shortly after war was declared the picture on the opposite side of this sheet shows him in uniform as major of u s field artillery End of chapter twenty five